So I sort of alluded to the idea that I might film my Perth Fringe Festival show for your content this month. And that certainly was the plan. But it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because, well, honestly, because I forgot to record it. That's it. That's the reason. I don't know why I'm being so honest with you. This is the internet. I could lie and you would never know the truth, but here we are. The honesty of the mask. The honesty of the proscenium march where we all abandon our personas. It's all in my book if anyone cares to give it a look. Well, there's actually a bit more to it than that, but I don't want to turn this into an episode of Behind the Laughter, so that's going to have to do for now. Long story short, I did a three-night run at the Perth Fringe Festival. The Friday night was very good. It was a bit clunky because I had to learn how to ride that bike again, which is fair, but overall it was good. Saturday night sucked absolute balls because, and here's a free behind-the-scenes showbiz fact for you, the Saturday night show always sucks. It's a universal law. It's like the speed of light. And the Sunday night show, while absolutely brilliant and one of the best shows I've ever done, That was the show where I forgot to hit record. So you're just going to have to take my word for it that it was a good show. And I mean, have I ever lied to you? Exactly. Which means, obviously, that there needs to be a bonus episode, and I need to put out some content. And it made me think of the story of Guillaume Le Gentil. This is one of those stories that has been on the list, capital letters, for quite some time now, so I'm excited to tell it. Have you guys ever heard the tale of Guillaume Le Gentil? I certainly hope not, because I'm about to tell it. Here we go. Astronomy is a very broad subject that quite literally dates back millions of years, from the time the very first proto-human was able to crane its head back and look at the shinies in the night sky. So I'm going to try and keep myself from going on too many tangents here and keeping my powder dry, as it were, but I make no promises. Humans have always been fascinated by the poetry of the spheres, and we've only very recently started figuring stuff out. Seriously, a lot of what we know about the moon, we learned when people went there. It's that recent. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn were all known to the ancient Babylonians. It dates back that far, and that's not even the start of astronomy. But we didn't know Jupiter had moons until Galileo had a crack at it in 1610. It's a long process. Uranus wasn't discovered until 1781 by Frederick Herschel, and he initially thought that it was a comet and not a planet. That's the kind of margin of error that we're looking at. Neptune took until 1846 to be discovered, the same year that the saxophone was invented. Saxophone! Saxophone! Pluto wasn't discovered until 1930, less than a hundred years ago. It still blows my mind that my grandparents woke up one morning and they were told that there was a new planet that they didn't know about. I I just googled it. Uh, Pluto's not a planet. They changed it in 2006. And most of this astronomy, nearly all of it actually, was done purely on speculation. People looked at the things they knew about, crunched some numbers, and then those numbers said that there was probably an entire planet out there. 
and then it was a matter of waiting a few centuries for telescopes to get good enough to actually check to see if there was a planet where the mathematics told them it was. And that still makes me feel like a giddy school kid whenever I think about it. I love stargazing, but I can't even imagine the kind of mind it takes to look up at the stars, the same stars that I look up at every night, to look at them and say, you know what? Based on how those stars are twinkling, I reckon there's a planet orbiting this exact path that we can't see yet. And then be right about it. Usually. Past astronomers were pretty good. Incredibly good, actually, considering what they were working with. But they did have their share of misses, too. Which, I mean, fair enough. You're trying to draw a map of the universe using nothing more than abstract mathematics that you're inventing on the fly. I'm going to forgive the odd error here or there. Newton and Leibniz were both so keen on studying the universe that they both, independently, invented calculus to explain it all. You ever just invent a new branch of mathematics? We've all done it. There is evidence that the ancient Greeks actually developed calculus and it was subsequently lost, but that's for another time. History's astronomers were good, but they weren't always right. For instance, take the planet Vulcan. You ever heard of the planet Vulcan? No, here we go. Pop quiz, what's the closest planet to the sun? Mercury, bingo, well played everyone. As I said, humans have known about Mercury for thousands of years. But then telescopes got better, and we got to know Mercury even better, and Mercury started to look pretty funky. Then Isaac Newton comes along and codifies the laws of physics, and then suddenly Mercury doesn't fit in with the laws of physics. Because Mercury doesn't have a nice, neat orbit. Other planets do their nice, neat loops around the sun, but Mercury weaves all over the place like Anne Heche in a hatchback. Too soon! I've waited six months to do that. That is not too soon. And astronomers looked at the transit of Mercury and said, We know that Newtonian physics be like they do, but this don't sit right. Because Mercury doesn't orbit in the way that you'd expect it to if it followed the laws of physics, as was understood back in the day. Remember the progression. I've been over this before, but a quick recap. Aristotle was the first person to address how weight and speed influences momentum, but he didn't have the science to explain anything beyond that. Galileo did, and he took what everyone knew and cemented the idea of inertia. When thing move, thing want to keep move. But Galileo didn't grasp the concept of gravity. And then, along comes Isaac Newton, who put everything together with gravity as an attractive force. And quick aside here, the whole idea that Newton discovered gravity when he was hit on the head with an apple is absolute bullshit. Not true at all. That whole story was invented years later by Voltaire when he was trying to think of a way to explain Newtonian physics to idiots. So, the more you know. So Newton's laws say that Mercury should be orbiting like this, and it isn't. Why is that? And nobody really knew. Nobody could quite explain why Mercury's orbit was so wacky. 
The best way of explaining it was that there must be another planet in the solar system whose gravity is warping the orbit of Mercury. That's the only way that we can account for how Mercury moves the way it does. And this planet must be super close to the Sun, closer even than Mercury, and that's why we've never been able to see it before. It's too close to the Sun. But based on the mathematical calculations, there must be a planet there. And because this planet was so close to the Sun, they called this hypothetical planet Vulcan, the Roman counterpart to the Greek god Hephaestus, who was the god of the forge and lived in a volcano. So, Vulcan. This planet Vulcan theory was not universally accepted. There were plenty of people who had their doubts, but whenever someone tried to challenge it, the pro-Vulcan people would say, well, if there isn't a planet there, why does Mercury do what it do? And everyone would have to shut up because there wasn't a better answer. And this goes on all the way up to the year 1915. That's when we get a dude by the name of Albert Einstein. This Einstein dude says, yeah, Newton was mostly correct with his laws of physics, but he didn't get it all right. You see, I've just mathematically proven that space and time are actually the same thing, called space-time, and you can actually squish it and squash it and stretch reality according to how fast you're going or how much gravity there is. And he called this the theory of special relativity. And this theory of special relativity did indeed explain why Mercury orbited like it did and why there was no planet Vulcan. Because the sun is so fucking huge, and it has a lot of gravity, it actually warps the space-time around it. The Vulcan theory was disproven. There's no extra planet there. But it is sound in principle. You can learn a great deal by studying the movement of planets. Most of astronomy is built on it, this kind of speculation. Which brings us to Guillaume Le Gentil. Guillaume Le Gentil was born in northern France in the year of our Lord, 1725. Like pretty much everyone back then, he originally planned to enter the clergy, but quickly got the fuck out of there and pursued science, like most sensible people. And what fascinated him was astronomy. And I mean, who could blame him? Astronomy, it's cool! I don't know if you guys are as keen on astronomy as I am, so I'll go light here and just say that Guillaume racked up some pretty decent astronomy in his early years. He discovered some stars and some galaxies and some clusters. He has things named after him. That's always a good barometer of your worth as an astronomer. If there is something in the sky with your name on it, well, he's got things with his name on it. So Guillaume Le Gentil is an established astronomer doing good, solid astronomy. Good for him. Then, in the mid-1700s, Edmund Haley gets this wild idea. Yes, that Edmund Haley, the comet guy. Haley has this banger of an idea. There's going to be a transit of Venus coming up in 1761. A transit is basically the same as an eclipse, but instead of the moon, in this case, it's Venus. Venus is going to pass in front of the sun, meaning Everyone can see it clearly, and we can all have a good look at it and make some really accurate calculations based on how it moves. And this is a big deal because Venus transits are super rare. Venus only comes between Earth and the Sun very occasionally. It's on a very particular schedule. 
So you get one transit of Venus, and then you get another one eight years after that, and then it doesn't happen again for 120 years. And then you get another one in 105 years, and then the cycle goes back to the beginning. The last transit of Venus that we had was in 2012. The one before that was in 2004. And the next one that we're going to get is just around the corner in 2117. So you want to map a transit of Venus while it's hot. So back in the mid-1700s, Edmund Haley said, Hey, we've got a transit of Venus coming up in 1761. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had people all over the world watching the same transit at the same time? Then we could all meet up and exchange notes, and we'll all know more than we ever have about the solar system. It's going to be awesome. Hurrah for science. Woo. Hurrah for science. Woo. Well, I can't say I approve of the woo, but the hurrah was quite heartening. And astronomers from all over the world joined in the hurrah for science woo, and it was on like Donkey Kong. Venus had no idea how tracked it was about to get. And one French astronomer, by the name of Guillaume Legentil, said, absolutely, I'll have a slice of that action, and he joined in the fun. Now, our boy Guillaume, he's French, so he gets to go to a French place. No, not in France. All of the good spots were already taken. He gets to go to India. India, at the time, was in French hands because colonialism. But not to worry, Guillaume Le Gentil is into that. That's why he got into astronomy, to see the world. Or many worlds. I'm not proud of that joke. So in 1760, he packs up his telescopes onto a ship and heads off to India. This is a full year before the transit's going to take place. So he's given himself plenty of time to get to where he needs to be, with sailing ships being what they were. And off he goes on his big adventure. He makes it all the way to Ile de France, which is what we call Mauritius today. And when he gets to Mauritius, he learns that England and France are having one of their common wars. This one is called the Seven Years War, but if you know your history, you know there's only like 16 days in the entirety of history where England and France have not been at war. So Guillaume Le Gentil sails into an active war zone and his ship is flying French colours. So he does the sensible thing and he changes ships. Good call. He gets off his French frigate and boards another vessel. And he sails towards the French port of Pondicherry in India. When they're only a couple of days away from Pondicherry, the captain of the ship gets a message that the British have captured the port in some astonishingly poor luck for Guillaume Le Gentil. You know, of all the gin joints in all the world. Guillaume is a man of science, though, and he thinks that maybe the British will still allow him to conduct his experiments. After all, aren't we all educated men of culture here? We're men of science. But then the captain points out that a French national arriving in a hostile port with a cargo full of telescopes and optics during a war is probably not a good look. Looks a little bit James Bondy. So the ship has to turn around and head back to Mauritius. Alright, fine. No big deal. I was hoping to get readings from India, but readings from Mauritius are almost the same thing. Just as long as I can map the transit of Venus, I'm all good. You know, when God occupies a port, he opens a window, right? Well, God is not on the same team as Guillaume Le Gentil. 
out of nowhere, some crazy-ass winds start to pick up and the ship is blown off course. It ends up spending five weeks adrift at sea. And included in that five-week period is June the 6th, 1761, the date of the transit of Venus. Guillaume Le Gentil did his best to observe the transit and record his findings, but there's only so much you can do astronomically from the deck of a rocking sailing ship. You need some terra firma under you. So all of his calculations were useless. He just wasted an entire year of his life. And the devil will drag you under by the sharp lapel of your checkered coat. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. But remember, open windows, right? Guillaume is an optimist, so this is where it starts to get interesting. Guillaume Le Gentil says, fuck it. It took forever to get here. It's going to take me months to get back home to France. I came halfway across the world to map the transit of Venus. I am going to damn well map the transit of Venus. So he decides to stick around. The next transit of Venus is going to happen in eight years. He figures... He's going to have an eight-year head start on the 1769 transit. So he gets to work. He spends the next eight years mapping the coasts along the Indian Ocean, and he determines that the best place to observe the transit of Venus is going to be in Manila, in the Philippines. So off he goes to Manila. At this point, Manila is a Spanish colony because colonialism. And when Guillaume Le Gentil arrives in Manila, he learns that France is having a bit of a tiff with Spain, so he is promptly told to fuck off. But as luck would have it, the port of Pondicherry is now back in French control, the Seven Years' War having concluded. So it's back to plan A. He's going to track the passage from Pondicherry in India. His ship sails once again for the French anchorage of Pondicherry, and this time he makes it. He gets there. He's hale and hearty, and he makes it with more than a year to spare before the next transit of Venus. What can possibly go wrong? So he's got 15 months to twiddle his thumbs before the next transit, so Guillaume Le Gentil decides that while he's there, he might as well map the transit in style. And so he finds an appropriate hill on the outskirts of Pondicherry, and he builds himself an observatory. Everyone else who was mapping the transit of Venus was doing it with telescopes that they carried with them on their back out in some muddy field somewhere. Guillaume Le Gentil is going to be doing it right in his own custom-built observatory, like a goddamn boss. But like Esau before him, God fucking hated Guillaume Le Gentil specifically. On the night of the 4th of June, 1769, the night of the transit of Venus, Quite literally, out of the blue, a small batch of cloud came out of nowhere and positioned itself directly above the observatory of Guillaume Le Gentil. Directly above his telescopes. He could not see a thing. Now, at this point, his optimism is stretched thin, as I can gather you probably understand. He knows it's unlikely that he's going to be able to witness the next transit of Venus, which is going to happen in 121 years. So he packs up his telescopes and he heads back to France in defeat. He had originally planned to be gone for about a year. At this point, he'd been gone for over 10. So he gets on a ship and he heads back to France. 
and the ship he's on makes it all the way to Madagascar before everyone on the ship develops a severe case of dysentery and they can no longer continue. So Guillaume Le Gentil gets off that ship and finds another ship that is heading back to France, and this next ship makes it about 200 kilometers before a storm ripped it to shreds and was forced to return to port for repairs, because God fucking hated Guillaume Le Gentil specifically. Eventually, he finds a Spanish ship that was heading back his way, and he jumped on that because he's been gone for so long that multiple wars had resolved themselves in that time, and the Spanish are cool with the French again. He arrived back in Paris in October of 1771, 11 years after he had originally left. And when he got home, he found that he had been declared legally dead in absentia. His property had been sold off, his wife had remarried, his tenure at the Royal Academy of Sciences was given to someone else. Guillaume Le Gentil had been Count of Monte Cristo. As it turned out, even though Guillaume had written multiple letters back home over the years, none of them had arrived at their destination. Due to the inherently dangerous coastlines that ships back in the day had to sail from India back to Europe and due to the multiple wars that were being fought, Every ship carrying a letter that he'd sent back home had met with some form of misfortune and either been pillaged or sunk or smashed against rocks or whatever because God fucking hated Guillaume Le Gentil. Every ship carrying one of his letters had been somehow waylaid. Or so people claimed. I'll let you make up your own minds on that one. It sounds like the kind of story that one might make up if they wanted to plunder the estate of their rich Uncle Guillaume, and the more cynical among you might think that, and you might be onto something. But you also need to consider that Guillaume Le Gentil was supernaturally unlucky. It took many years of litigation, and eventually the direct intervention of the King of France for Guillaume Le Gentil to regain his property and his position at the Royal Academy, where he continued to be an astronomer doing astronomical things. Guillaume Le Gentil was a gifted astronomer, and his contributions to the science greatly benefited mankind's understanding of the stars. But Guillaume Le Gentil never got to document the transit of Venus. He has an asteroid named after him, and a crater on the moon, and that's pretty cool, I'd love to have that, but it's not as cool as having the solar system's most famous comet named after you. And you gotta wonder how we might remember Guillaume Le Gentil if he'd actually managed to track the transit of Venus. And that's the unlikely tale of Guillaume Le Gentil, one of the more unfortunate people in the history of mankind. I don't think I can compare my failure to hit the red button on my phone at my best show at the Perth Fringe Festival to Guillaume Le Gentil's 11 years of tribulation, but I include this story as a demonstration of what can potentially go wrong when you go traveling with the intention of recording something. Or at least that's my excuse. <laughs> 